So this is week two of a projected seven-week series on the Lord's Prayer, which we're calling Teach Us to Pray. I don't know, do you ever think about why a sermon series? Why this series? I don't know. Uh, but let me answer that question if, in fact, you're thinking about it. Uh, generally, the answer would be that the Vital Church Assessment Report that we did back in the fall revealed as a result of your input the recommendation that we needed to make prayer a greater focus in the life of our church. But in addition to that, I want to share with you this morning two very specific goals that I have in mind with reference to this series. Actually, two goals that only God can accomplish. I can't, you can't, the church can't, God can. So first of all, I long that this series will promote a passion for prayer in your life and in mine. The other day I had the privilege of reading an article authored by Tim Keller describing the renewal of the American church. Having previously described in other articles the decline of the American church, he was now wrestling with the issue, what about its renewal? And essentially, he was saying that we need revival in our country today and throughout our world. And this is what he said. Revivals are periods of great spiritual awakening and growth. In revivals, sleepy and lukewarm Christians wake up. Nominal Christians get converted. And many skeptical non-believers are drawn to faith. Now here's the connection with prayer. He went on to emphasize the fact that every movement of God, every revival throughout the history of Christianity has started as a movement of prayer. And so he emphasizes the fact that initially there were just a few people that would get together and pray for themselves, for their church, for their community, and then God showed up in a powerful way. And as a result of that, they began to take their sin more seriously. Social problems were addressed. Healing came to marriages and families. Large numbers of people in the community were converted to Jesus Christ. And people were certainly uh, emphasizing a greater passion for the things of God. So I began to think, wouldn't it be incredible if God were to do such a work here? Can you imagine what could happen in the city of Minneapolis, southwest Minneapolis, right in our own neighborhood? Marriages being healed, families coming together in a greater way, social problems being addressed, certainly uh, values that people hold being transformed as well, many people coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. What if God were to do something like that right here? I want to suggest to you this morning that this transition time is just a wonderful opportunity to take prayer to a higher level than perhaps it has ever been throughout the 17-year history of this church. So that's the first goal that I have in mind. Obviously, it's something that God is going to have to do with our cooperation, creating a greater passion for prayer in my life and in yours. Now, related to that is the second. And that is that we would develop what is known as a culture of prayer. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you have a culture of prayer, prayer isn't just a program. 
It isn't something you do because it happens to be, you know, the first Sunday of the month and there it is on, on the church's calendar. Oh yeah, we're supposed to pray. So a few people come together to engage in that particular act. No, it becomes a lifestyle. With a culture of prayer, the way that we plan and act and think and respond to issues reflects a commitment to prayer. Everything is bathed in prayer. Wouldn't it be something if God were to use this series to those, the, the, those two ends, first of all, promoting a passion for prayer, and then secondly, developing a culture of prayer. So those are the goals that I have in mind, and I invite you to join me in praying that those goals would become reality. Now last week it was mentioned as we kicked off this series that um, it certainly is appropriate to uh, recite the words of the Lord's Prayer. After all, Jesus in the account of uh, this prayer in Luke's version, Luke chapter 11, instructs his disciples, when you pray, say. So yeah, we may say, we may recite the words of the Lord's Prayer as a church, for example. But the primary purpose that Jesus has in mind in giving us this instruction is to serve as a pattern or a blueprint, a guide for us in terms of prayer. And it includes two major parts. The first is a preface or introduction, which we considered last week, our Father in heaven, or literally in the heavens, describing the fact that God's presence and glory fill the universe, and we describe the kind of father we have. But then in addition to that, that preface is followed by six very specific requests. Notice this chart. There's a reason why I'm showing this chart again. I showed it to you last week. But you notice that the first three on the left side focus on God's glory, and the second three on the right side focus on our good. This order is very, very important, okay? It's not accidental. The normal pattern for prayer should find us beginning with God and his glory, not us and our good. So instead of presenting you know, a grocery list to God so we make prayer all about us, we start with this great concern for God and his glory. I love the way one of my favorite authors probably did more to mentor me in many respects than anybody else, Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the way he describes this. Look at this quote. If only we would always start in prayer by recalling that we are in the presence of God and that the eternal almighty God is there looking upon us as our Father and more ready to bless and to surround us with love than we are to receive his blessing. He says, if only we could start that way with this realization, we're coming into the presence of our heavenly father who loves us and cares about us and is ready to bless us, we should achieve more in that moment of recollection or reflection than all of our prayers put together are likely to achieve without that realization. Then he adds this sentence. If only we all had this concern about God and his honor and glory. Fortunately, Jesus is well aware of the fact that we need this instruction. So he says, these are the two areas to consider, folks, my disciples, my followers. First, God's glory, 
and then you're good. Today then, we're focusing on the first of these six petitions, hallowed be your name. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> well, there's room in your sermon notes for a couple of definitions that we need to consider here. The first being this word hallowed. What is that? What, is, what does it mean to hallow something? Well, I don't know, maybe the kids here this morning might think of Halloween. If you happen to be an attorney, the practice of law, you might think of the hallowed halls of justice, you know? Somebody who has served in the military might think of a hallowed ground where a major battle took place. So this is what the word means. Hallowed means to honor. It means to revere, to make, or to keep holy or sacred, okay? To honor, revere, to make, or keep sacred. Now look at how some other translations have rendered this first petition. Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored. That's good news. May your name always be kept holy. May your name be honored. May your name be held holy. Help us to honor your name. So to hollow God's name is to honor it. Okay? We're praying that God's name would be valued, revered. It would be set apart and honored. All right, why then do we have this other addition, hallowed be your name? What does name mean? What is that all about? Well, this is the way in which people in Jesus' day would talk about God. Even before Jesus, going way back into the history of the Old Testament, we discover that people were so concerned, they had received the Ten Commandments, one of which is don't take God's name in vain, don't use it flippantly or lightly. They were so concerned to avoid doing that that they decided instead of ever using in spoken you know, conversation, for example, God's sacred name, Yahweh, they would instead simply refer to God as the name. So name here means God himself, okay? So when we pray this prayer, we're praying that God himself, God in his characteristics or attributes, God in his mighty works would be revered in honor. So Jesus is saying this should be your first concern in prayer. Prayer is not just about you and your needs. It's about God and his glory. Now, please do not misunderstand me. Jesus is not giving us a legalistic checklist where we pray the first petition, second, third, and then we go on to four, five, and six, praying for our good, our needs, in kind of a legalistic framework, no. But essentially what he is emphasizing is that whenever you pray, your concern should be ultimately for the honor and the glory and the repetition, whatever word I'm trying to think of right now, the honor of God, that, that should be number one in our hearts and minds at all times. So even when I'm praying for my hurts, my needs, my fears, my struggles, my major concern is that God would be honored in how I'm responding to them and that his will would be done on earth even as it's being done in heaven. So these are guidelines, not legalistic rules. So with that in mind, 
What exactly are we praying when we come to this first petition, hallowed be your name? Now we understand what hallowed means to revere, to honor. Now we know why the name is, is employed. What are we praying for? Three things. First of all, we're praying that God's honor will matter to everybody. That the world would come to honor God like this. So it's, it's, it's expressing a passion a longing, a desire for the honor and the glory of God. It's interesting, you can't read the four gospels of the New Testament without being gripped by the reality that Jesus had this burning passion for God himself. So on one occasion, he prayed like this, John 17, I glorified you on earth. I have manifested or revealed what? Your name, that is your character, to the people whom you gave me, referring to here the disciples. Elsewhere he said, I have not come to seek my own glory, but the glory of him that sent me. He had shared in that glory. He had proclaimed that glory. He was filled with his passion for the glory and the honor of God. His one desire was that others would come to see it as well. So Jesus is saying that should be our concern. Now, let me ask you this question. As you think of the people outside this building that you rub shoulders with at school or you work with your neighbors, do they tend to share the concern of Jesus that God would be honored in all things? What do you think? I don't think so. I mean, not exactly, right? Oftentimes they're willing to take God's name in vain to curse God. In social media, they will say things when shocked or surprised by something, OMG, right? Oh my, yeah. And so they're using God's name lightly, flippantly, irreverently, okay? Well, um, why do they do that? Well, essentially they do it because they have no idea how amazing, how wonderful and loving and caring God really is. So they're willing to misuse the sacred name of God. Can you imagine a husband who really loves his wife saying, oh my blankety blank, or the wife saying that about the husband? Oh, of course not. Nor do you ever hear anybody today, at least I've never heard anybody yelling out if they're angry about something or hurt about something, oh my Buddha, or Hare Krishna, or oh Muhammad. You know, they just don't do that. People just don't understand the awesome character of God. So in this prayer, we're expressing this desire that they would come to know and to honor God as he has made himself known. Now, one of the major ways in the Old Testament especially that God revealed himself, made himself known, was through his various names. Look at this chart, it's just a sample of a few of them. Notice the top reference, Genesis 22. That's the passage where Abraham is commanded by God to go and sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Can you imagine what that must have been like for this man? Thinking, here's the son of promise through whom all the you know, great nations are going to be uh, manifested. And now he's told to sacrifice this son. Well, it's through that that God prepares a, a substitute. And in Genesis 22:14, we read, the Lord is my provider. That's his name, Jehovah or Yahweh Jireh. 
The Lord is my provider who cares. Hear these other names. Lord's my righteousness who forgives, my peace who calms, my healer for my hurts. He's my shepherd who guides. God is all of this and a whole lot more. So when we pray this request, hallowed be your name, we're praying that the whole world would come to know God and honor him like this. Is that your desire? Is that the thing that's first and foremost in your mind when you go to pray? I've got to tell you, this is convicting for me. I don't know what if, if it is for you, but it, this just reveals to me how pathetic much of what I call prayer really is. So instead, Jesus is saying, look, when you come before God, just stop for a moment, you know, just for a few seconds and realize what it is you're about to do. The person you are addressing, this wonderful God who through faith in Christ has become your father, and you long that he be honored and worshiped and adored by people everywhere. Hallowed be your name. So yes, your concerns, your fears and hurts and struggles are all very legitimate matters, but the question is what about God and his concerns? Now, to bring this a little bit closer to home, this is what I'd like you to do right now. Those of you who picked up these uh, sermon notes, on the left-hand side, there is a space under this first point for you to write down somebody's name. You notice what it says there. I desire that blank would come to know God in his fullness. So instead of praying generally that the whole world would come to a greater understanding of God, how about praying by name for the person whose name you could write down? Who do you care about? Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's somebody at school or work. Jot down that person's first name or maybe just the initials of that person's name in order to focus very specifically on that individual. So first of all, what are we praying for when we utter these words, hallowed be your name? God's honor will matter to everyone. Secondly, also praying that God's majesty will eclipse my problems. God's majesty will eclipse my problems. Now, what does eclipse mean? Well, it essentially means to surpass, to outshine, to diminish. So I'm praying that God's great majesty will diminish or surpass or outshine my personal problems and needs. Now, let me give you a biblical example of what I have in mind from Isaiah chapter six. Look at this text and I wanna comment throughout the reading of this passage and kind of explain what's going on here. It, it begins by saying, in the year King Uzziah died. Now we read that, in the year King, okay, big deal, right? The king is dead. The person who has led this country for 52 years is gone. And not only is the king dead, what does this mean for the country, right? And what does it mean personally for Isaiah who had a a friendship with this king. So it's not only the king is dead, but his friend is dead. So he goes to the temple to grieve or to mourn a dead king when he's confronted with the undying king. This is what it says. Near King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now what is fascinating to me, you go to the 12th chapter of John's gospel, 
where Jesus quotes some verses from the sixth chapter of Isaiah. And then John writes this. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, that is the glory of Jesus Christ, and spoke of him. So in other words, John is saying, when Isaiah went to the temple with his problems, his needs, his hurts, he's grieving, his friend, the king is dead, what he saw was the exalted king that is Jesus Christ, all right? Pre-incarnate Christ in all of his glory, sitting on a lofty throne. And then it says, the train of his robe filled the temple. Now what's the significance of that? This is that a period of time when the, the majesty or the status of an ancient king was sort of measured by the length, whoops, all I have to do is knock this over, I'm gonna be in big trouble, would be measured by the length of that king's train, of his robe, all right? So the fact that this robe, the train of his robe, filled the temple is in, in essence saying, nobody could be compared to this king, no other king throughout history could ever be compared with the might and majesty of the glory of Jesus Christ himself. Hovering around him were mighty seraphim. Seraphim, the word in Hebrew means flames. So he saw these fiery angelic creatures, each with six wings. With two wings, they cover their faces because nobody could look on the face of God and live. Two, they covered their feet. With the remaining two, they flew. In a great chorus they sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is filled with its glory. The glorious singing shook the temple of its foundations. The entire sanctuary was filled with smoke. All of this emphasized the majesty of God. And then I said, oh wow, I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So here's my point. Isaiah has been grieving the death of his friend when God's majesty eclipses his problems. So, in light of all of that, I want you right now to think of the greatest problem that you have in your life today. All right, whatever it is that's going on in your marriage, as a single adult with parents, kids, work, whatever it is that you're concerned about, God is so much bigger and greater than whatever it is you're worried about right now. That's the point. So you go back to the order of this, these prayer requests found in the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus is essentially saying, look, just quiet down for a moment or two here, okay? A few seconds. Realize you're coming into the presence of your Father. Realize that he wants the best for you. He's ready to bless you and care for you. And then you say, Lord, I want your name to be honored, not only in this world, but also in my own life. I mean, do you ever pray like that? Usually, you know, I've got my list. God, I need this, that, and the other. See you later, I'm out of here. Well, does God hear such prayers? Of course he does, he listens to them. But we would have a whole lot more peace in our lives if we prayed the way Jesus is encouraging us to pray. You see, this prayer is given for our well-being, not God's. This is something that we need to be reminded of, particularly when we're going through a crisis of some kind, that we will know God's peace and care even in the midst of our problems 
by the sense of the majesty and the greatness and the glory of God himself. I mean, what if your spouse, for those of you that are married, every time you had a conversation with your spouse, your spouse were to say something like this, uh, on your way home, pick up the kids at school, and oh yeah, we need some milk for breakfast tomorrow morning, and uh, John at school tomorrow needs to bring some cash for some project, so go to the ATM and get, get us some cash, amen. And that's, that's essentially, you know, time after time what your relationship with your spouse is all about. Well, that wouldn't be very intimate or caring, would it? Well, that's how we often treat God. Now, by contrast, Psalm 148 talks about God's name. His name is greater than all others. And I'm, when I'm reminded of that, I don't have to worry. Why? Because I'm not in control anyway. This majestic God is the one who's in control. Now, a little bit later on, Psalm 18:31 says, For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? You know, it's interesting that the scriptures often describe God as a rock. We have people in our country who during vacation trips, wow, look at that, my two grandsons are on the screen. Okay, my daughter just a couple of weeks ago took during a school break, took uh, her two sons, my grandkids, uh, to look at these rock formations. Why do people go and look at rock formations? They don't speak, they don't do anything, they're just there, right? Well, they go to these rock formations, I think, among other things, because of the sense of majesty that they project. Look at the next picture. This is my daughter. I'm not gonna ask her how she got up on top of that. I don't wanna know the answer to that question. But look at the scenery. This is absolutely amazing. People go to these places to have a wow experience. Wow, look at that. Look at the majesty of the, of the, the rock formation. Well, I think many of us need a wow factor in our lives. Not the wow now that comes from visiting a rock formation or a great you know, game that you watch on TV or something, but the greater wow that comes from knowing God. There's just something about that wow, realizing how great and awesome God is, that puts my problems in perspective. So when I'm feeling that life is unfair, God's my rock. When life seems unimaginable, God is my rock. When I don't know where to turn, I'm confused. God is my rock. When life is falling apart, God is my rock. When I'm terrified, God is my rock. Now to personalize this, once again, take out your sermon notes, and now under number two, it has, toward the end of that, God is greater than. How about if right now you were to summarize a problem that you're dealing with, a hurt, a fear, a concern, and just to remind yourself of the greatness of God at this point. Now, I think by way of biblical example of the story of Job, you know, his story perhaps, single day, everything is lost, possessions, house, 10 kids. He has 10 children, they all die in a tornado. He's left with a grouchy wife who tells him to curse God and die. 
He later develops a skin disease, so his own personal health is affected. Some Old Testament scholars think that that may have been a, a, a type of skin cancer. And then these friends, so-called, show up, giving him terrible advice about the cause of his problems. And Job starts asking the question, why? Why me? Why this? Why now? Why am I going through this? And it's interesting that God never answers his why question. Instead, you come toward the end of the book, and Job has a meeting with God. And these are the kinds of questions that God asks Job. Uh, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Uh, Job, have you ever commanded the morning to appear? Uh, not exactly. Can you hold back the movements of the stars? Uh, no. Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Job, can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct it? See, what Job thought he needed was the answer to the big why question. Why am I going through all of this? Why me? And instead, what he needed was a who. Not a why, a who. He needed to be reminded of the greatness and the majesty of God. Some of your questions will never be answered in this life. So you have a choice. You can either decide when life is falling apart and you don't have any answers, to let that crisis you're going through shape your understanding of God, or the reverse. You can allow your biblically framed understanding of the character of God to shape how you're gonna to respond to your problems. So when I pray, hallowed be your name, I'm also praying that God's majesty would eclipse my problems. Thirdly, we're praying that God's purity will lead to a different kind of lifestyle. In other words, we can't sincerely pray, hallowed be your name, while continuing to live in impurity. Can't be done. The word hallowed, we saw, means holy. Another definition for holy means to be separated from evil. The Bible says, Habakkuk 1.13, God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. So the point is, we can't pray this prayer, Father, hallowed, pure, separate from evil are you while we continue to live in it. So every time we gossip, we slander, we lust after someone or something, every time we refuse to forgive, every time we act in pride, we're setting ourselves in opposition to the one to whom we owe everything. So sin is an insult to the holiness of God. You see, you are a representative of God and his name on earth, okay? So praying that this name would be honored is forcing each one of us, I think, to wrestle with a question, Lord, what are the ways in which I'm dishonoring your name? Because I long that everybody would honor it and live in purity. So positively, we want certainly to honor God's name by representing him well in the world. All right, one more time, take out your sermon notes. This time it says under the third area, an area I need to address is what? I mean, maybe you need to break with an area of sin, or maybe you need to write down an action step by which you can display God's glory. All right, let me wrap this up with a couple of questions. 
First of all, in light of this prayer that Jesus has given us and what we've learned today about what hallowed be your name means, how is your prayer life gonna be different going forward? How is it gonna change? Maybe you need to shift from a focus where prayer is all about you to one that considers God and his glory. How about this week when you pray, just stopping for a couple of seconds and reminding yourself you are in the presence of your Father who cares so much for you. And then pray something like, hallowed be your name, praying that God's honor will matter to everybody, God's majesty will eclipse your problems, and God's purity will lead to a different lifestyle. So how is your prayer life gonna be different? Here's another question. This prayer, instruction from Jesus assumes that you are in a relationship with God as your heavenly father. Are you? The Bible says this is how we get to that. To all who receive Christ, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. So God becomes your loving father when you take this step by faith of receiving his son Jesus into your life. This then is the first petition. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray together. Father, Father, today we choose to make your name something more than that which we simply talk about or sing about. We choose to trust in that name. We pray that others would come to value that name. Lord, we thank you for caring for our hurts, our sorrows, our pain, our grief. At the same time, may your name matter more to us than even our problems. And may our lives be a continual invitation for others to come to know and to love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.